Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 4, Episode 6. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. Very thrilled to have as our guest today, Catherine Prescott of VoiceBrew. Catherine, say hello. Hey, Bradley. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast this week. I'm very excited to be here. Catherine, you got a great thing going on um, with your newsletter and the community that you've cultivated. Share with us, uh, you know, take a minute, um, you know, let it breathe and, and share with us um, who you are and what you do. So I'm the founder and editor of Voice Brew. And Voice Brew is a daily email newsletter that helps people get the most out of Alexa. We started in January of this year and we're now at over 25,000 email subscribers, which is you know, really exciting. Um, we also publish comprehensive guides on our website covering almost all of the key Alexa features. So everything from routines to smart home to important topics like privacy. And our mission is really to help people get the most out of Alexa. Millions of people have access to Alexa but the vast majority of those people are really just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of what they're getting out of Alexa. And I want to help change that with voice brew. And I know Bradley, that this is also something that you're very focused on with the upcoming release of your book, which is coming out pretty soon, right? Uh, it's right around the corner. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, um, <laughs> we're, we're, let's just say we're in the final, final throws. Um, yeah, and uh, just uh, so everybody listening and watching knows, um, honored to have Catherine write the foreword for more than just weather and music, 200 ways to use Lexa, perfectly on brand for everything that she's doing. And um, if you haven't taken the time to subscribe to Voice Brew, you, you don't know what she's talking about, you don't know anything about it, go Google it and go get yourself subscribed because you're missing one of the best newsletters in the game. Catherine, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Bradley. So yes, the book is coming out uh, very shortly. Um, we're running uh, maybe uh, four or five days behind where we thought we might be, but uh, you know, we haven't shown much of it um, by design. We uh, haven't talked about it. I talked about a lot of things. I really haven't talked about this and it's, it's gonna be awesome. So um, I'll, I'll wait till it comes out and, and hit people with it like a ton of bricks. And I'm looking forward to doing that. Uh, thank you for being part of that as well. Yeah, I was very, very happy to, to play a small part in that, you know, very cool project that you've been working on. It, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. So I, I appreciate that. And with that, we'll get to the news. So story number one, pedal to the metal. Amazon Alexa to be offered in all GM brands in 2020. Now, this is, um, there's a lot of articles about this story I could have selected. I wanted to choose one specifically from a uh, automotive source, uh, which is what this Motor Authority site is. Um, th this is just another step in the development of this particular vertical. Catherine, when you saw this article and, and what uh, Amazon's doing with Alexa to, to further its foothold in this market, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah. So look, this is a key part of Amazon's on-the-go strategy. It's Alexa in the car. Um, Alexa earbuds were announced at the September 25th event, and those are also hugely important for Alexa on the go. But it's important to remember that a lot of people have cars. Way more people have cars than smart speakers, and people spend a lot of time in their cars. Um, the car is also, of course, an environment where it's particularly key to have access uh, to hands-free control of technology. So it's really important for Alexa to be there in a big way. Um, you know, and Alexa in the car, Alexa in your earbuds are particularly key for Amazon because Amazon doesn't have a phone. Um, you know, just a few thoughts on GM specifically. Uh, it's really exciting to see them making this big commitment to roll this out for all their new GM brand cars, plus over-the-air software updates that are going to enable a lot of the older models going back to 2018 to embed Alexa as well. Um, you know, it sounds like they've really done their research um, to, to discover that consumers prefer to have the same voice assistant in their cars that they use at home, and that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, this move also really shows that GM believes that access to Alexa is going to be something that people consider when they're making purchase decisions. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how that uh, bears out. And I'm sure many of the automakers out there are, are going to be, you know, looking at this as a, a reference case as well. Um, and also along those lines, you know, another key point is that it's really important to point out how this implementation of Alexa in the car is different from what Toyota, Audi, BMW, and others have done with Alexa. Um, you know, as others have pointed out, GM is really the first to truly embed Alexa in the car. Alexa can be the sole voice assistant in your GM car. You now actually get to select either Alexa or GM's legacy assistant. So that's something very new. And it sounds like this implementation will let you control some of the in-cabin car features. Um, I'd love to understand exactly which, which ones. Um, I wasn't able to, you know, figure that out based on some of the reporting, but I'm sure that'll, you know, dribble out soon enough. Um, and, you know, also on that point, when I think about, you know, the future, I'd love to see an integration at some point down the line that goes even further beyond the infotainment system control. You know, something that lets you say, hey, Alexa, turn on the windshield wipers, open the trunk, you know, things like that. And, you know, when I was thinking about this, you know, for, for those of us who, you know, from time to time, you know, rent, have rental cars, this would be particularly helpful because, uh, you know, when you get into a car you've never driven before, sometimes you have to futz around and kind of find all that stuff. And, it would be nice to just be able to voice control some of it. Um, so, you know, overall, this is super, super exciting. And, you know, I'm sure that the folks at Amazon are working really hard with other automakers to, you know, roll this out more broadly. And, you know, we should keep an eye on it. A lot of great points in there. Um, thank you for that. So, yeah, I, I um, you know, people have different reactions to, 
things that involve Amazon or Google or Apple that, you know, um, nobody's crying for a trillion dollar company, you know, that has to uh, adjust or adapt to different conditions that they find themselves in. They just say, deal with it <laughs> like life often is. And, you know, with Amazon, their hand tied behind their back is the phone. It's, they screwed it up. Now they don't have a phone. So it's real simple. And now they're having to get creative. And it's fun to watch this company with its visionary leader still around because we talked about how Apple's is gone. And um, obviously they have had numerous conversations internally where they've been told mitigate the phone mitigate the phone and that's exactly what this screams to me is it's mitigating the phone and i love every bit of it because you know we're tethered to these things in um in sort of an unfortunate way and uh, for me one of the big promises of voice assistance um and this voice first movement that we find ourselves in is maybe not the elimination of the phone, but the mitigation of the phone. And, um, and I love that. And I think you make another good point too. I hadn't really thought about rental, rental cars, but you know, when, when we get to the point which we're sort of like hurtling toward with faster velocity than most people realize of, you know, Alexa, Google assistant, recognizing our voice, it just heard me there recognizing our voice and um, being able to know who we are, whether we're at home, whether we're in our car, whether we're in Hertz's car, whether we're in Joe Smith's car, our Uber driver, um, you know, that's, that's going to be fun and it's going to be super convenient for people. And that's, that to me is what this screams too. And then the, the third thing you, you mentioned is that, you know, Google Assistant was already integrated with a lot of these cars, and they're layering Alexa on top of that. And I remember the first time we covered a story along those lines, it was with Sonos talking about how they wanted to integrate Alexa and Google Assistant both into a soundbar. And I just laughed and I said, okay, <laughs> sure, of course you're going to do that. No, you're not. No one's going to let you do that. And unbelievably, to the credit of these tech juggernauts, they seem to have learned from some history because this is exactly where um, the the pitfall has risen up to, to claim casualties in the past is uh, tech juggernauts arrogantly and stupidly saying, no, we're gonna dominate that and you're out, we're in. And so far, that's not happening. And so progress is allowed to continue. I think a lot of fascinating things going on. You touched on all of them. Great, great commentary. Any other thoughts on that? Just the point you made about, you know, untethering us from our phones. Like, my hope is that, you know, maybe it's five years from now or maybe less than that, but that we get to a point where we look back at this kind of decade from like, you know, the sort of 2007 to 2010, maybe through like 2000. 2025, I guess it's more than a decade, but, you know, we think about how crazy is it that we all just walked around all day, you know, staring at our phones and, you know, these earbuds and some of the stuff we'll talk about a little bit later, 
you know, it really untethers us. And it's not that you don't need a phone anymore, that there's no place for a phone, but it isn't your, you know, 90% of your technology interaction. It kind of takes up more of your, less of your time. You know, those famous pictures of seeing construction workers sitting up on the beam, eating, you know, thousands of feet above solid ground, just sitting there casually eating their lunch. Um, like this is just the way things go. That's the way we're going to look at pictures of people walking around, you know, like everybody drone like down on their phone. People are going to look at that like, my God, how did that ever take place? Um, so yeah, you're right on, right on the money with that. Story number two, forget echo frames. Google assistant has its own jacket. So this is, this is an interesting one. Um, that sort of speaks to a number of different uh, themed under, themes and undercurrents going on within voice. Uh, Google and Levi is partnered together on this piece of clothing. Catherine, what do you think about this? Um, is this um, something we're going to see more of? Is this an experiment that's bound to fail? What are your thoughts when you look at this here? Look, the bottom line is we are, without a doubt, moving toward a world where people want to be able to access their voice assistants all the time. And the question is, will this be, uh, will access be in everything that we wear or will it be in something like earbuds or glasses that we wear all the time? So to get into this question a little more, my first reaction to the jacket was, cool and this sounds fun but there are a couple of problems with this jacket as well you know one is that you don't wear your jean jacket every day and i think that one of the keys to getting people accustomed to using new ways to control things and get information you know whether it's moving your hand across a sleeve like with this jacket or using your voice is that there needs to be habit building it's hard to get someone to change a sporadic behavior, just quite frankly, because they forget to make the change. And, you know, on a, you know, related but separate point, of course, to get someone to change their behavior, you know, the new experience, you know, it has to be, you know, say 10 times better than the previous experience and, or the ingrained experience. And, you know, I don't think it's 10 times better to get the time by moving your hand across the small part of your jacket sleeve in a specific way versus, you know, just glancing at your phone or your watch. So that being said, I do love seeing a novelty product like this because it really has the potential to spark ideas for other wearable technology that could be really transformational. Um, and Bradley, when I saw that you included this story, you know, I was excited because I thought it would also give us, you know, a quick opportunity to talk about the Echo Frames as well. You know, also somewhat of a novelty item for sure. Um, but what's nice about the frames is that, you know, even versus the Echo Buds, is that people wear glasses all day and almost every day. And that means constant access to Alexa. And it also means that it's conducive to habit building. So, you know, 
while I think Amazon is certainly testing the water on this, um, you know, if the frames end up being a surprise breakout success, I wouldn't be too shocked. And then on that last point too, you know, you could also say, you know, when the Echo first came out, it was certainly a novelty product as well. And, you know, look at where we are today. No doubt. And uh, it's been interesting to see as we've gone along. So we've had these mainstream voice assistants a couple of years now. Um, they've been with us and we have figured some things out collectively. And one of those things that we have figured out is that um, you best bring the voice assistant into a specific vertical with the vertical's use cases in mind. So forget trying to shoehorn in Alexa or Google Assistant or Siri or Cortana or Bixby or there's Alexa going off again. Um, forget one size fits all, which is a great metaphor for this other thing we're talking about now, which is clothes. And, um, you know, the Echo Frames, you're right, have, the, have a really unique opportunity to do something special. Um, but they're not going to do, not only will they not do anything special, they won't do anything at all. Um, if it's just, oh, hey, you know, let's just include Alexa as a token um, bonus feature, extra bullet point on the marketing plan, um, you know, lazily implemented, um, thoughtlessly executed. No, no, no. It's not going to work like that. If, if they can, um, and I'm sure, you know, we've seen enough of this now to know, you know, that it's a reasonable expectation that Amazon will bring that to the party, you know, some sort of thought process on, okay, this is a unique situation that calls for some sort of unique use case. What is it? Let's figure it out. Same thing for this jacket. Um, you're right. You're not going to say most, most people would not wear uh, the same item of clothing every day. I have seen exceptions <laughs> uh, in, in my time. Uh, I, I think back to what some friends of mine did in college. Uh, there was people that would never stop wearing certain things. I won't go into that. And, you know, but most people don't work that way. <laughs> and, um, and so it, it is interesting to think about how do you execute Google Assistant in a piece of clothing that's worn periodically? So in other words, the habit formation is just exponentially more difficult. And you're having the, the interface is completely different. Um, sounds like a lot of ingredients for failure. Until, you know, until you realize hopefully what's going on here is just they're trying to experiment. And maybe they're trying to surface some use cases that they'll use moving forward. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe the idea is to combine some sort of jacket at some point with Google Glass. You know, maybe there's different things that they're contemplating. But uh, it's, it's exciting because it's, it shows, you know, between the two of them, um, the frames and um, 
the jacket, and we'll talk about Microsoft's uh, innovative and different sort of earbuds in a minute. It shows a fearlessness um, to to fail and and to to, to dive into these markets and fail because uh, that's probably what what's about to happen. They're going to dive in and fail. But the question is, do they take anything with them when they do? I hope that they do. Any any closing thoughts on that? I uh, agree with everything that you said, and I think you know one key point too is that you know is there even if this jacket is not broadly adopted, which it's really probably not going to be. Is that failure or did they learn something from this, develop some cool, you know, hand gesture technology that they'll use in another product that will be transformational? So it's just, it's exciting to see this kind of experimentation happening. Complete, complete agreement. Story number three, our voicebot.ai story of the week, voicebot.ai. Every single time I do this show, Tell you, just like voice brew, voicebot.ai, critical part of your information diet. Go there, find out what we're talking about. If you don't have, if you've never seen the site before, uh, we'll forget, we'll conveniently forget for you that you've never seen the site before. We'll act like you didn't say that. Apple starts to play nicely with competitors. Spotify and WhatsApp get better Siri support. So, there's some interesting things going on here, and and there's no love lost for for Apple on this show. Uh, I think they've squandered um, an incredible amount of opportunity. Um, but late is always better than never. Catherine, your thoughts as you take a look at this story? Look, this should have happened years ago. Uh, you know, on the one hand, it shouldn't really be newsworthy that the first assistant and one of the most broadly adopted assistants is becoming a little bit more open to a handful of third-party apps. But on the other hand, given serious history, it is big news. So look, I was glad to see that third-party messaging apps that users are frequently using, like WhatsApp, for example, can become Siri's default messaging app. And I think it's cool that Siri can automatically summon different messaging apps for different contacts, depending on how you usually message with those contacts. That's a nice little feature, you know, a little, you know, learning, AI kind of learning going on there perhaps. Um, but this, the second piece of this, which was the Spotify example cited in the article, that you can now ask Siri to play music on Spotify, but only if you specify on Spotify at the end of your request, you know, this represents such a basic feature and it's not a great user experience that you can't set a non-Apple music service as your default. You know, every other assistant out there that I know of lets you do this. Um, and it's also, you know, that, that you can't set a third party music provider that's, you know, so pervasive, such as Spotify as your default. It's also somewhat surprising given recent scrutiny about how Apple has favored its apps over third-party equivalents. Um, so to me, you know, this example is just a case study for why Siri has stagnated. And, you know, to your point, Bradley, about, you know, kind of what is Apple's kind of voice strategy you know, I'm really curious to understand, you know, what their theory strategy is 
or, you know, said differently, their decision not to prioritize having a real strategic direction for Siri, which is how it sometimes seems, you know, at their most recent event, um, there was virtually nothing on Siri, you know, and there are a lot of smart people at Apple and I'd love to know how they're thinking about this. You know, what do you think? <clears throat> no, that's, uh, that's, that's a great thought process on all of that. It's, it's, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, it, it appears that, um, a big driver of this is this complaint that's mentioned in the article about Spotify complained to courts in Europe or whatever it was about um, the anti-competitiveness of the Siri and Apple ecosystem. And, you know, uh, Apple under Steve Jobs might have been deft enough, able to execute enough, have enough foresight and enough vision to where they don't have to do a damn thing. They, they can sit there, they can sit back and do what they want to do. And, and they've got their finger on the pulse enough to be able to, to roll like that. But it, um, you know, with Tim Cook, it's, it's, you know, Tim Cook brings, a different skill set and a different set of experience. And he's still trying to play by a lot of Steve Jobs's pages in his playbook. And, um, and you see, you, you see the problems. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately it's, they're probably only doing this because they heard that horrible, horrible word. That's like their kryptonite, uh, you know, anti-competitiveness or monopoly, or all those sorts of things that get them um, afraid, you know, <laughs> like an elephant running away from a mouse. And um, I don't know. You're right. It is real basic. Uh, it's a great illustration of how behind they are. Um, it seems like they're sort of being dragged, kicking and screaming. Um, you know, like so, someone told them they're going to eat them, they eat their vegetables now, and they're mad. And uh, they're real mad. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's somewhat humorous. It's somewhat pathetic. Um, but all in all, you at least have to say they're moving in the right direction. And as I've said a bunch of times, Apple's change is not going to come with Tim Cook as a CEO. It's not going to come with somebody who reported to Steve Jobs for years and years as the CEO and somebody who's got by the last five years doing what this guy's done or not done. Um, it's not going to happen. It's just not. And so um, I'm hopeful, you know, speaking to the previous stories that Amazon and Google both are effective at um, reducing the importance of um, and the significance of the mobile phone um, and, and just attacking Apple's main revenue stream to where, you know, reeling in pain, they've got to make changes. And because um, that's the only way they're going to. It's like anybody else. They're not going to make changes because, you know, unless someone has a gun to their head saying you got to do this now. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to watch. But uh, I think there's um, – possibly more bad than good here, but at least there's some good, which we haven't been able to say about every Apple story we've seen. Any other thoughts on this? 
Yeah, you know, the one other thing I'd add is that, you know, when we, you know, look at, you know, how Apple is communicating um, about its sort of forward-looking strategy, they're really playing up more of a services narrative. And of course, wearables and, you know, AirPods are becoming an increasingly important source of revenue for them as iPhone sales growth is sort of tapering off. And, you know, I would think that Siri and having a really robust voice assistant would certainly buttress their, you know, wearables strategy um, and make AirPods even more compelling. Um, and there could also be interesting opportunities to deliver certain services via Siri. Um, so perhaps it could even sort of, you know, if they really did double down on Siri at some point, it could kind of play into that as well. So just sort of another, you know, reason why I'm surprised that they have shown so little um, focus on Siri, at least outwardly. Who knows what they're doing internally, you know? Maybe they'll come out with some huge announcement, which they could absolutely do. And we'll all be kind of thinking, you know, we should have given them more credit all along. So that's certainly a possibility. And I think every story we've ever done on Apple has concluded with that sort of like optimistic sounding hope about the future. And um, what can you say? Um, you know, maybe we inch closer to that. I just, um, we, we need a, a leadership change and hopefully we get one and they bring in some outsider, um, you know, I think a woman would be good to run the company. Um, and I think a woman outsider would be good to run the company. And um, that's, that's what I'm hoping for anyway. Uh, maybe I'll go back to buying a, uh, an Apple phone again. Um, maybe I'll uh, suck it up and do that at some point. Story number four, consequence of sound. Yes, Microsoft's first ever earbuds are really this big. And, and Catherine, you just touched on um, the AirPods. And interesting sort of battle lines being drawn um, with this area of wearables. What's your thought with what Microsoft's doing here? Is it uh, um, a nice try? Uh, you think they'll be successful? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so this is really interesting. You know, Amazon, Google, you know, of course, Apple, they've really focused on, you know, the let's call it the personal space. But there hasn't been as much progress in the office. Um, and I think this is Microsoft. I think, you know, Surface earbuds are Microsoft making a move in that area. So I read this as Microsoft designing an earbud that's really awesome for the office. So they might not compete with Amazon and Google on or Apple on functionality outside of the office. But, you know, and of course at 200 and, you know, $46 or, you know, whatever the, the price is, they, they definitely do not compete on price. But the integration with Office Suite sounds extremely useful in certain office settings. So, for example, you can touch and swipe that little mini saucer touchpad on the size of your giant earbud and flip through PowerPoint slides during a presentation. You know, I spent 10 years in the, um, you know, corporate world and gave a lot of PowerPoint presentations and I could see how that would be really useful. Um, you know, at 
the, their price point, they are significantly more expensive than AirPods, Alexa earbuds. Um, I'm sure what, you know, Google's price point will be lower as well on, you know, their upcoming buds. But maybe people are willing to pay more for something that they perceive as an office device. And I just think as a general point that Microsoft's decision to focus more on productivity and the office setting is really smart versus trying to be a direct competitor to Alexa and Google Assistant because, you know, this is Microsoft really doubling down on what they're good at. Yeah, you know, complete agreement. And it, it I, I, I keyed in on the PowerPoint inclusion as well. I think that um, that is a perfect, um, potentially perfect use case to start to inch your way toward being willing to pay 250 bucks for these. Um, the interesting thing to me is thinking it, thinking it a step or two down the road and saying, all right, Microsoft is using PowerPoint as a competitive advantage to justify this price premium. That, that is the type of thing that you see with ecosystem defense. You know, it's like we've created this ecosystem and we're going to use its best attributes to justify uh, you know, price premiums on new products and entrance into different markets. And it doesn't entirely jive with the way that voice is moving. And some of the things we've already touched on, you know, what does that mean? You know, Microsoft's not going to allow uh, Alexa earbuds to interact with PowerPoint. Hmm. Uh, because if so, that would be different than this sort of laissez-faire, open, everything goes sort of Microsoft we've gotten accustomed to under this new CEO. And um, so it's interesting. It's interesting to see what's said about this, these earbuds, and to try to reconcile that with how this may end up playing out. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch. Uh, but uh, I'm all for more entrance in the space. Um, I can tell you that because that'll make it better. Any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, Cortana has been around for a while. So, um, you know, but something that, you know, this, this kind of made me think about is this new kind of interoperability initiative that we're seeing with, you know, that Amazon is spearheading where, you know, the idea is that there could be a world where there would be you know, lots of sort of mini assistants that go really deep on their sort of specific subject matter expertise. And, you know, I don't want to call Cortana a mini assistant because, you know, they've been around for a while and, you know, have an incredibly robust presence. But at the same time, you know, I, I almost think that, you know, yes, you can access Cortana via Alexa, but when you're in the middle of the meeting, you know, do you want to say, Hey Alexa, ask Cortana to change the next slide. Like these AirPods, these Surface earbuds are a nice example to me of, you know, sometimes it does make sense to be able to interact directly with an assistant, even if you could access that, a lot of that assistance functionality via Alexa or Google Assistant or like, you know, one of the sort of bigger, one of the bigger assistants, you know, kind of multifunctional assistants 
today. You know, it's nice that there's that little touch pad and you could just do it without, you know, without having to say anything. So, you know, we're on this, you know, we're on this week in voice and we're talking about voice first, but, um, you know, I think that as voice first matures, you're going to start to see, you know, it'll have more kind of tentacle. So it's voice first, but sometimes you have multimodal, sometimes you have, you know, some, some minor touch, you know, complementary component. And it's exciting to see, you know, voice first kind of maturing and evolving in this kind of way. Complete, complete agreement. And, uh, and it just, it, it shows confidence. Yes. Uh, you know, it shows maturity, but with the maturity comes confidence. It's, it's, we're not trying to prove anything to anybody, uh, anymore. Um, you know, if voice is integrated a little bit, great. If it's integrated a lot, great. If it's the entire thing, great. If it's none of it, that's fine too. Um, we know voice is here to stay. It's an important part of everything. Wherever the, the rest of the chips fall is fine. Um, that's confidence, that's maturity, that's all those things that it's sort of miraculous that, to see in a market um, of this, um, you know, that hasn't been around that long. But, um, you know, it's like we talked about earlier, these tech players have done a good job of um, showing the maturity themselves. And that's really the only reason we're having that discussion. Moving on to story number five. Always try to include something bizarre, a little off the beaten path. And uh, well, we found it here. Could a robot be prime minister? <laughs> Machines will soon be smart enough to run the world, says a futurist. Anything a human does, a machine can do dramatically better, says Zoltan Istvan. And uh, interesting article here, primarily focused on Canada, but a lot of interesting takeaways. You know, Catherine, when you when you saw this, um, what was your what was your reaction? My reaction is a flat out no. A robot will not be prime minister, and here's why: AI is good at a lot of things, but one thing AI is not good at is replicating human connection. And a second thing AI is not good at is AI is not creative. And the challenge with teaching AI, you know, on the human kind of connection point, the challenge with teaching AI to have, you know, the human touch, shall we say, is that things like compassion, trust, human connection, um, those are not objectively measurable. And therefore, they're not really trainable for an AI. So it's not clear how AI can ever really learn um, this, these, this sort of skill of, you know, showing, um, you know, showing human connection when interacting with humans. And I think that most humans, you know, wouldn't accept an AI that tries to fake it. So, you know, bottom line, I think that politicians' jobs are safe for now. I also think that, you know, there are a lot of jobs that are safe for now. You know, any job that really requires human connection, which is so many of the jobs, not every job out there, but a lot of the jobs out there, you know, teachers, you know, people who take care of the elderly, nurses, bartenders, therapists, you know, really any job that requires human connection to do it well um, is not going to be replaced in, by AI. And that definitely... Uh, includes prime ministers and politicians and in my mind. 
<clears throat> when I the moment I saw this article, I knew that this had to be included. Um, it's just a must. Like it wasn't even a question. Um, you know, so I'm born and raised in the South. Uh, born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. Moved to Nashville in 1999. Uh, met my wife here. Never left. And um, you know. 2012, 2008 before that, uh, had a guy, you know, president of the United States that uh, people were mad. People were mad, mad. And even before that, Bush, people were mad. Clinton, people were mad. Obama, people were mad. Trump, people are mad. Who, you know, whoever is next, you know, Trump for another four years or Elizabeth Warren or whoever, you know, people are going to be mad. Whoever's next, they're going to be mad. You know, it, it, it's it's hard to visualize the threshold for quality that AI would have to hit to even be in the ballpark of having this conversation with more than just this one dude who, I mean, who says anything a human can do and AI can do better. Well, guess what? You just lost me right there. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's the thing I do find interesting about this is that as we see with technology and as we see with um, movements, you know, of different types, where you have one person saying something bold enough to put their name on some sort of statement or thought process, you've got many behind them that perhaps are thinking it. Um, and they're, they, they just would never put their name to it. They can't put their name to it. It would be irrelevant for them to put their name to it, but yeah, they're thinking it, uh, they can buy that. So it's interesting just to, to, to note that we, you know, the, the, presence of one person saying this means we have some people who actually sit around and think that this is possible. And um, that's interesting um, because it shows sort of the vector of it all, the way we're moving. And maybe at some point we can get there, but um, no, we, of course not. Uh, Alexa, you know, can't even, um, you know, hook you up, uh, there she is again. It, you know, Alexa and Google Assistant can't even connect you um, to the New York Times bestseller list as much as you should be, or they can't, uh, you know, unreliable in in all sorts of basic use cases. We're not we're not even close to uh, giving nuclear codes to uh, to an AI and. You know, people can get mad about a human being, but uh, getting mad about an AI would be a whole other animal. I don't think any of us are ready for that. Any any closing thoughts on any of that? I'm definitely not ready for that either. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, thinking about, I think all the time, about what, we're, what next year will be like, because, um, you know, here in the United States, obviously, as you know, this story is written about Canada, but... Um, and we have a lot of people in Canada who, who listen and watch the show, but, um, here in the United States, the, the political environment is, um, uh, the word that comes to my mind is untenable. And, um, so no, this is, um, far from anything that we're able to take on at this current time. Thank you very much. 
Uh, thanks for the thought. Uh, check back uh, 50 in, in the next 50 years. Um, Catherine, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you very much for bringing your deep expertise, your experience, your knowledge, uh, your perspective, uh, not just to me, but to our audience as well. It's greatly appreciated. Great being here with you, Bradley, and you know, really enjoyed our conversation today, as always. For This Week in Voice, Season 4, Episode 6. Thank you for listening or watching, if you're watching on YouTube. Until next time.